0: Uh, Before before I begin, um, let me just say a few things uh, connected to what has already been said. Um, First, come next Sunday at 10.30. Let's have church in 100 places. You know what I mean? Um, And and I would encourage you, perhaps, if you live near someone or that sort of thing, and you, I mean, this is obviously at your own discretion, your own level of risk. You figure this out. um, But you want to join with them um, in your home and use the online Resource as a way of having church together just sing loud <laughs> um, yeah it's a it's a weird time we're going into um, some might be um, tempted to fire me emails of criticism perhaps I've you know launched this a few weeks too early or something like this um, if so those emails can go to um, someone else <laughs> um, um, and be, um, you know, just trying to be wise um, with, with how we respond to this. And so, but at the same time, get proactive with thinking how you can support other people and how you can build up the church over this time, okay? Brilliant. Let's, let me jump in. Um, first of all, let me just ask you to be honest with a few things. Um, quick quick show of hands. Um, how many of you have hands that are a bit raw or cracked from washing them so much this week? Okay. How many of you have purchased things you wouldn't normally just in case? Oh yeah, come on. Some people are like like trying to hide their hand at the same time, right? How many of you have tried to purchase hand sanitizer or toilet paper and found they were sold out? There's a quote I saw online from someone who saw that the toilet roll was all sold out, and they said this. It did not make me feel like I needed to stockpile. It made me sad that people are clearly scared. Earlier this week, I got a cold, okay? Now, by the way, just in saying that, a bunch of people go, ooh. <laughs> um, I, I, it was a mild cold. It hasn't affected me much. My first thought, of course, though, when it was settling in, right, what, right was like, is this coronavirus? <laughs> Am I going to die? <laughs> um, you know, do I, what do I need to do? What's happening here? I notice that there are two impulses in people, and, and even in my own heart that seem to live side by side. You would think these two impulses would cancel each other out, but they, it doesn't seem to work that way. The first impulse is to say, regardless of whatever's happening, is to say, well, I'm just fine, right? Like you've been there at work when someone is streaming with the flu or something like that and they're like, they're just fine and everybody catches it later. Okay? Right? We've all been there. It's like a denial. Okay? There's that impulse that we all have of denial. And there's also um, this other impulse and that's an impulse toward fear. It's very interesting, isn't it? Denial and fear. And they both live within us and they don't seem to cancel each other out. We... Um, And so let me just say something. First of all, to that first impulse to denial. Please be vigilant, be wise, take caution, okay? Mainly, however, this morning, I want to speak toward that second impulse, toward fear. Let me ask for another show of hands real quick. How many of you have checked the numbers throughout the week to see how fast things are growing? Yeah, look at that. And for all of us, it's not hard to think, what if it comes to my body? What if it comes to my house, to my family, to my church, to my community? And so I want to speak this morning to that fear. Okay? Now, first, um, we need some context. And, and some of this you might be aware of, but it's good to get the, the picture of what's happening here. And uh, t- thinking about our passage. Okay? Um, for three years, the disciples have been on this wild ride of, of walking with Jesus, of following Jesus. The disciples left everything to follow him. The goal for them has been to be like him and to do what he does. And they've just entered into Jerusalem with great celebration. Now, for the disciples, it might be like they, they may have felt like at that point that they'd won the lottery, Right? Um, Essentially, the the rabbi that they're following will surely become king. The crowds of people hang on his words. And then Jesus says, and we looked at this two weeks ago, then Jesus says that he will be the seed that dies to produce many seeds. Now think about the fear that the disciples would have felt around this, right? Right? Like, it would be a big deal if one of your friends said to you, I'm going to die. Right? Just, like, sometimes we get used to these these stories and what happened, and we forget just what this would be like. If a friend said to you that they were going to die, that would be very scary and significant. Or how about this? How about if your employer said that they were closing the business? Done. That would be scary, right? Or if your education came to an abrupt end, and and you didn't know what the future would look like right scary or if your friendship group all centered around one person and that one person was taken away and you had no clue what was going to be left for the disciples all of these different situations are all happening they're all happening with Jesus they have good reason to fear And so what does Jesus say to them? And here's a key verse I'd want you to catch this morning. And I'm going to come back to this. Verse 27 where it says this. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. So the thing I want to ask this morning and looking at this situation with Jesus and and the disciples is what was the foundation for their peace? Right? This piece that Jesus describes, what can we see in chapter 14 about this? And then, of course, for all of us, it's the question of how can we learn from them when we face times of fear? First thing I want you to see is at the beginning of chapter 14, so from before our reading, but from the beginning of chapter 14, from verse 1, you read this. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Okay, that's pretty good, right? Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. And you'll recognize it here from verse 2. My father's house has many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. Now think about this. For the disciples, Jesus says he is leaving, but he's going to prepare a place for them. This is essentially the big picture. Uh, Jesus, you know, is giving them the big picture of of the fact that he's going to go away, but big picture, he's going to prepare a place for them, heaven. Now, bear in mind, um, there's a lot I don't understand about eternity. Nobody does, (laughs) right? In fact, you can look, there's loads of like philosophical you know, brain teasers just pulling out the fact that we don't understand the difference between finite and infinite, okay? There's a lot about eternity that we don't understand. But I love the way that Jesus talks about things because he makes it tangible. So for example, Jesus said to his disciples, he said that anything you give up now, you'll receive a hundred times as much in the world to come. I can understand that. (laughs) Right, if somebody said to me today that if I invest a pound tomorrow I'll get a hundred pounds, happy day, right? Because that's that's a good deal. I would probably doubt the the you know I'd probably doubt that investment. Um, but what Jesus says is fairly secure in that it's backed by the Creator of the world. Just saying. <laughs> There's a lot I don't understand about eternity, but Jesus makes it tangible. He says to the disciples that he has gone to prepare a place for them. They can trust Jesus. He's gone to prepare a place. So do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. So the first thing I want you to see is the big picture. As Christians, we have a hope that is far beyond this world. But bear in mind for the disciples, that still means that there is a time where they will be left without Jesus, right? So they still have reasons to be concerned, but big picture, things are going to be okay. That's the first thing I want you to see. The second thing I want you to see comes in how the Holy Spirit is described here in chapter 14, also in chapter 16 and a few other places, but it's very rare. The word that's used is the word paraclete. It's only used in the New Testament to refer to the Holy Spirit, and as I say, only a few times. And it's a very interesting word. So you get it, for example, in verse 16. So if I start at verse 15, it says this. If you love me, keep my commands, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate. That's where the word paraclete is, advocate right there. And he will help you and be with you forever. Or verses 25 and 26. All this I have spoken while still with you, but the advocate, that's that word paraclete, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Okay, so paraclete is actually a difficult word to translate, okay? In the New Testament, um, like when you look at English translations... Uh, There's different words that get used. NIV 2011, that I just read, uses advocate. NIV 1987 uses the word counselor. I have trouble with some of these words. They don't completely, I don't think they convey the right meaning, okay? Advocate, to me, sounds like a legal support. Do you you feel that way as well, advocate? Counselor feels to me like, I I, I don't think the Holy Spirit's like, tell me about your parents, you know, how does that make you feel? Um, right? And some translations use the word comforter. And if you kind of take these words together, I think you get a fuller picture of what we're talking about. I don't think there's just, I don't think there's the ideal word in English to describe it, really. Um, the, um, there were some translators in Africa that were wrestling over this exact point. They were trying to translate the New Testament into the care language, um, K A R R E language, and they were, um, they were having trouble with this word paraclete, and they noticed something among this tribe that they were working with. What they noticed um, is there was, what they would do is they would go into the jungle to get things, and they would come back with massive, heavy bales on their heads and such. Um, and they would go in a, as a group to do this, but whenever they would do this, there was one person that would carry nothing. And they were, the translators were baffled about this. At first, they thought that maybe this person was the boss, right? And then they figured out that wasn't the case at all. This person had a very specific job. Their job was that if any one of the per- people couldn't carry the weight that they were carrying and they fell over, the idea was that this person would come to their side and that they would carry the weight that they could not carry. The, um, the translators put it this way. This is the phrase they gave to to the word in the care language. Um, It's the one who falls down beside us. Isn't that nice? See, the Holy Spirit is our comforter, advocate, counselor, the one who falls down beside us. When you fear, the Holy Spirit is always present to comfort you, encourage you, and give you strength. Third thing I want you to see here in this passage, and it comes out again and again, and it's beautiful how it comes out. I want you to see the depth of intimacy that is possible with the Holy Spirit. Okay? This intimacy is described in several ways, again and again. In verse 16, we hear that the Holy Spirit will be with us forever. Um, Jesus is speaking to the disciples, but that promise very much applies to followers of Jesus going forward. In verse 17, we get this mystical description of our union with the Holy Spirit. As Jesus says of the Spirit to the disciples, you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. Now what's great is for the disciples is they're thinking, okay, yeah, we do know the Holy Spirit. We've seen the Holy Spirit at work through Jesus, right? He will, you know him, He is with you, but he will be in you. And that describes a reality that we experience as followers of Jesus, where the Holy Spirit is so near, is so close, the Holy Spirit comes to live in us. Or as well, we read this in verse 20. Jesus says, On that day, you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. And it's this beautiful, mystical union with the Spirit of God. In verse 18, again, super practical, Jesus says, I will not leave you as orphans, I will come to you. In verse 19, Jesus describes the union as if the disciples, as if, you know what, people won't be able to see Jesus anymore, but you will see me. And this relationship, this closeness with the Holy Spirit is why Jesus can say in verse 27, peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. As a, as a young Christian, um, something that I think was just a, a grace of God to me is that there was loads of times where it was very, where I could sense, I could feel the presence of the Holy Spirit in what felt like a tangible way. Now, it doesn't happen in the same way for me now. I mean, maybe it still happens from time to time. But as a young Christian, it would happen often. It was super encouraging. And, but I remember one time where I was driving my car, and I realized that I hadn't felt that feeling for a long time. I hadn't felt the presence of the Holy Spirit for a long time. And in that moment, um, I just started praying, and I prayed, God, I know what the Bible says. I know the Bible says the Holy Spirit is still with me even now, whether I feel it or not. And as I was praying that, I felt like a, a, almost a big affirmation. I've just, I felt, this, it felt like God's presence just flooded my car in a special way, as if God was saying, yep, you got it. You see, the Holy Spirit comes to be with us and near us and in us. Now, let me bring this back to where we began, to fear. Um, Huffington Post had a set of cartoons uh, that were a bit humorous. They were contrasting childhood fears with adult fears, okay? And so they they had several of these. Um, The first one, childhood fear, doctors, okay? Adult fear, it was like a comic strip. Adult fear, doctor's bills, okay? You get the idea? By the way, um, that plays better in America. Um, (laughs) Praise God for the NHS, just saying, okay? Um, childhood fear, bad dreams. Adult fear, unfulfilled dreams, right? Childhood fear, strangers. Adult fear, crippling social anxiety. Right, there, you kind of get this sense that actually, no matter how old you get, you're still kind of like a little kid inside. And I love the, um, the final one that they did. Childhood fear, clowns. Adult fear, clowns. (laughs) See, with the spread of the coronavirus, we have many things to fear. The disciples, with Jesus' departure, had many things to fear. We can, however, take comfort in the big picture that is given to us as Christians. Do not let your hearts be troubled. We can also find help from the Holy Spirit, the paraclete, who comes to comfort, encourage, and strengthen us. And finally, we can find comfort with the fact that God is always ready to meet with us wherever, whenever, as we are. I'm going to pray in a moment, but let me just leave a moment of silence for us to just call to mind the fact that God is here right now. That he wants to give his comfort. Spirit of God, raise our awareness of you. Increase our faith. Father, I pray that you would give us a confidence in the days to come. That is not from denial, but is because we trust in you and are living for you. Help us in Jesus' name. Amen.